Chapter 10, The Mind Field. The opening quote for this chapter is by Sebastian Roque de Chamfort. Pleasure can be supported by an illusion, but happiness rests upon truth. The man who wrote that the mind is a beautiful thing probably didn't have mine in mind. In choosing to be present, I had stumbled onto a minefield of hidden beliefs, associations, and meanings that were part of a complex network of emotionally charged triggers that came alive at the slightest provocation. One moment, all would be calm, and in the next, a sequence of eruptions would detonate, bouncing me from one thought or emotion to the next, like the metal ball trapped under the glass of a pinball machine. Being committed to finding the present moment, I don't retreat. But there's no step I can take without activating one destructive sequence or another. So in daring to be present, I can only stand still and survey the landscape before me. For the first time in my life, I see the forces with which I must contend, alongside the only choice that will deliver me safely to the next moment, trust in the now. But like the addict who is drawn to his powerful drug, I am ensnared again and again as I struggle with my habit of vacillating between the portent of the future and lost opportunities of the past, each one tugging on me, insisting I leave the peaceful yet fragile sanctuary of the moment. Resisting this, I attempt to remain present amidst the doom I was certain lurked just outside the moment, or so I believed. Then I wondered, was there anything I could know for certain apart from what was going on right here and right now? More importantly, was it possible that what I knew now could guide me safely to the next now? It was in asking this that I realized how my steps towards peace of mind meant by necessity, abandoning anything I could not know was true in this moment, which included my beliefs about everything. Everything that was not knowable now was revealed as either a memory or a fantasy when only the reality of now would suffice. Being inexperienced, the practice of remaining present feels foreign. Constantly I lose my footing, slipping towards the seduction of my ideas about the past and future. It was not until I learned to use self-inquiry that I was able to regain access to the moment. Only then was I able to look and feel and sense into the deepest part of my now for the clues to guide me. Since I cannot know anything outside of it to be true, all opinions, beliefs, even memories, lose their sharpness to become mere possibilities, like the faint shadows the sun casts on a cloudy day. Having made the decision to abandon these things, which even now rush to the foreground of my mind with their promising pleas of salvation, I choose from moment to moment to reach out into the landscape of my awareness, like someone attempting to cross a raging river in the darkness, and with only the faintest notion that under each tentative step a solid footing would be found, I begin to distinguish something subtle, small, and extraordinary. I begin to suspect that true guidance might exist within each moment, which, if followed, could navigate my life from its current sad state to the shores of perpetual peace, ease, and safety, if only I could trust the way. Having survived the previous moment, and as a way to locate the next, I take a deep breath in. After exhaling, I inquire, what am I feeling now? Just as I had in my recruiting practice of communication, where before I was looking to see what was the content of my experience, now I wanted to know where the content showed up. In trying to answer my question, where was the present moment, I realized that I had never considered that the content of my experience had a location. It never occurred to me that not only was there a container, 
but there was also a wear to it. Slowly becoming familiar with my new surroundings and grateful for having discovered this place, I knew instantly that I wanted to take refuge here. But it wasn't to be so easy or direct a route. I was only at the beginning of a rather long path that would take decades to traverse, sometimes over very challenging territory. Unable to give up, I make my way as if the goal is just around the next bend. No matter what, I'm committed to the journey even if I have to figure out every step on my own. What follows are some of those steps of self-discovery. Encouraged by having located the truth of the present moment, I want to know how I can know if the content of my moment is true for me regardless of what it's about. What I am looking for is a way to know what is true in this moment and yet find its truth to be connected to that of the next and the next, thinking that in order for truth to be, well, true, it must be accessible to me regardless of the circumstances in which I find myself, no matter how far I may have strayed, there had to be truth in every moment. Also, the little truths of my moments had to be connected to the larger ones, like little untruths are connected to bigger ones. So it made sense that cultivating an ability to discern the truth of one moment would serve me and all the others that followed. And there had to be as many paths to it as there were times and places that I could traverse using the same faculties of thought and emotion that I used to arrive at anything else. Since thought, thinking, and emotion, feeling, were the only tools I had, they must contain their own truth if they are to deliver me towards other truths in the same way that true paths deliver us to true destinations. Our innate faculties then of thought and emotion were operators that functioned for us like addition and subtraction did for mathematics, where each is true and reliable regardless of the equation in which it is used. In this way, thought and emotion were the steps of our path to what is true. But how do they, these little steps of truth, deliver us to larger ones, be they personal, ethical, social, philosophical, political, religious, or spiritual? In considering this, I understood that for as many people as there might be, each arrived at truth using the same faculties as myself. I wondered, if we use these operators to deliver us to our different truths, did the truth reside in our correct use of thought and emotion and not in what they were used on? More specifically, did the operators lend their quality of truthfulness to the objects we directed them towards and not the other way around, just as a compass tells us our true location, but only if we know about true north? I'm asking this because I had fallen on my face often enough to know that I didn't want to do that anymore and hope there was a way for me to know what was true regardless of subject and apart from what others told, counseled, or admonished me with such. It seemed pointless to adopt yet another belief without cultivating my ability to know whether something was true for me. This in turn caused me to wonder what truth was apart from the places we tended to look for it and how our beliefs played a part in this. After all, What's true about the thought we call belief when applying it to a person, job, spouse, car, or religion? Does the truth lie in the thought itself or in our correct use of it and not so much in what it is about? For example, when asked, do you believe that Joe is telling the truth, that he can make it as an artist, that your wife Mary really knows him, that your old beater of a car will make it cross country or in the teachings of Christ, Buddha, Krishna, Yahweh, or Great Spirit? Is the process of belief the same regardless of what we apply it to, in the same way that logic can be made to argue any point of view? The answer is yes, but there is a great difference between knowing that we believe in something and believing what we know about something. 
So how do we separate what is true from what we believe about it? Without knowing the answer to this, I decided to start with what I could know was true for certain and not a belief. All I could truly know moment to moment was simply the feeling of being me. This was the only truth that I could discern, and because of this, it must be the place from which I would know the truth of anything else. For the first time, I was willing to proceed directly from being who I am, not from my thoughts or beliefs or opinions, but that which I could know was true every moment of my existence. This would be the starting point to reconstruct my relationship with reality. But first, I needed to strip away the layers of beliefs, opinions, and assumptions that had gotten in my way, as one might remove layers of varnish on a piece of furniture to expose its bare wood, its true and original substance. I do this knowing that if truth can be known, there must be a true knower and a true process of knowing where each is as true as that which they together create. We can't expect untruth to deliver us to truth. That is to say, if the starting point, path, or destination is not true, we will miss the truth. And I was looking for a reliable means to find truth so that no aspect of the journey was absent from it or required me to circumnavigate through falsehood to find it. Truth had to be where I started and how I traveled if I hoped to arrive there, and it had to be the source, course, and goal. Ever the scientist looking for his answer, I experimented by sitting quietly, closing my eyes and focusing on my breath to allow my mind and emotions to become clear enough so that I could easily sense into feeling the experience of being who I am. Next, I considered those things that I already knew were true and those that were not to discern how each affected my feeling of me. I think about how it feels to have missed six months of mortgage payments, fielded collection calls from demanding bill collectors, and having asked a friend for money just to buy toilet paper. Then I consider what will happen if I'm unable to restore our finances and end up without a place to live or food to eat. Finally, I inquire into what is going on right now. What do I know is true and not a belief, opinion, or assumption about the past or present or future? What I find is that dwelling on what's true in the now feels freeing, whereas whenever I imagine anything outside of right now, an uncomfortable binding sensation occurs. Regardless of the subject, Truth felt freeing, and falsehood did not. Suddenly, the present moment reveals itself to be my very own compass. Despite weather or terrain, it pointed to my true north all of the time. You see, I was not so interested in something that worked some of the time. I'd done that already. What I was looking for had to be consistent and dependable in all circumstances all the time. Taking my first steps in this direction guided by my very own compass, was both exciting and terrifying because it was a way of arriving at truth that did not rely on anything outside of itself. It was self-sufficient. Until now, I had relied on the wisdom and opinions of others, and now everything was to be swept into the same pile for evaluation or even elimination. Clearly, there was much more at stake here than simply finding the guidance hidden in plain sight. I was making my departure from all I had formerly known and previously sought on the basis of the consideration that the truth of the present moment would freely guide me. Again, I wondered, would I be able to find freedom and peace, or would the cost of trusting only what I could know in the moment demand I become a homeless person, our modern-day version of a recluse that had no place in the world? I had no interest in being homeless. I had a wife and children and responsibilities, didn't I? And then it occurred to me, What did I really know about anything? Every concept I held dear was now suspect, 
as more and more I discovered the chasm between what was true and what was merely my belief, assumption, or opinion. So yes, right now, Marcy was my wife and Lindsay and Tyler are children. But what did it mean that I was responsible? In fact, what did the word responsibility actually mean?